0: Well, as you guys all know, uh, about 10 days ago, a little over 10 days ago, I guess, uh, Hurricane Harvey hit the coast of Texas down in the Gulf. um, And it, I mean, it essentially destroyed the fourth largest city in our nation. And uh, as often happens in this kind of situation, there are stories coming forward of um, People who do incredible things for one another—acts of heroism and and kindness, and sacrifice, and generosity, and compassion—but there's another story that's making headlines uh, right now around the nation regarding something that's happened in Houston. It's the story of a high-profile church. In fact, it's the largest church in America. It's the story of a high profile pastor who is being widely criticized for being slow to open the doors of the church, uh, the church building in order to shelter flood victims. Now, I'm actually not going to criticize uh, and I think we should be slow to criticize. Maybe you've researched the situation more than I have. I'm not going to criticize that action. I actually, I don't know the situation. I don't know why the doors of the church were not opened earlier. Um, It sounds like it was pretty complicated. There were some different discussions happening between the city and the church, and so they were making decisions for reasons that I'm not sure, and I'm not even certain that they made the wrong decision. But what I will say is that the nation was watching as it was happening, and the nation was forming opinions about you and me, Based upon the actions of this church and this pastor. Regardless of whether or not we would want him to represent us. Regardless of whether or not we would even consider him within the circle of orthodoxy. It doesn't doesn't matter. The nation's perspective about Christianity was being shaped this week and when my wife talked with a family member who's not a believer in Jesus it was pretty clear that the reputation of our faith and the beauty of our cause was being overshadowed by generous acts of service not committed by the church but by everyday Houstonians who were giving up their comforts and their lives and and doing wonderful things for one another and and as I thought about that this week a couple of things uh, really stood out to me number one is this we don't get to decide what kind of opinion people have about us before they get to know us we don't we don't get to determine what influences people's perceptions of Christianity before they get to know us. The world is forming opinions about Christianity. Many of them are negative opinions about Jesus or his people that will simply be imposed upon you because you're a Christian. The moment you say that's what I believe or this is my faith, there are there are notions that people have about who you are. And it's gonna take some work on our part to overcome those opinions. The second thing that I thought of as I was thinking about this situation is that it's just yet another reminder of how important it is to watch the way that we live. Because the world most certainly is watching. And they are forming opinions about what we believe, about who we follow, based upon actions that come out of our lives. In other words the way that we live impacts our mission and that is relevant for us because we're in the middle of a sermon series called a life on mission where we're talking about how everyday Christians can live like missionaries in everyday life and uh, we're, we're, we're talking about the calling of a Christian as a missionary because we believe that every Christian is a missionary. That's what the Bible teaches us. As disciples of Jesus, every one of us is called to a mission. We've been brought into God's mission. And so I'll, let me give you some review for where we've been the last few weeks. And I'll start with that notion. God has a mission. We, we have a missionary God, meaning that God has an agenda that he is pursuing, and he sends people to pursue that mission. Like he sent the Son for the sake of the mission, he sent the Spirit for the sake of the mission, and he sends the church for the sake of the mission. We have a mission, because we serve a missionary God. Now, God's agenda, as we've seen, is, I, I would put it into, if I could put it into two words, I would, I would put it into revelation and celebration. Celebration. The revelation of his glory. He's on a mission to display the wonders of who he is. And believe me, he is wondrous. And not only does he want to display the glory of who he is, which, by the way, is revealed supremely in his son Jesus. Not only does he want that to go forward in display, but he wants to stir up within us an appreciation for that glory. He wants to create worshipers. The revelation and the celebration of the glory of God. That's what we've been brought into. And our mission then is to take the message about that glorious God to other people so that they might become disciples of him. So that the revelation and the celebration of his glory is occurring in the world because of the work of the church as they proclaim the gospel and make disciples. We're part of something really spectacular. Um, We are the plan for the mission advancement, for God's mission advancement. We are the plan. Now, just because we've embraced that doesn't mean that we know how to do it. And that's what this sermon series is focusing on. How do we live the missionary lifestyle? I get it that I'm called to be a missionary. I've read the Great Commission. I've read Acts Uh, 1-8. We're supposed to be witnesses in Judea, Samaria, uh, and to the ends of the earth. Um, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the earth. But how do we do it? Um, And last week we talked about, well, here's our general approach. We take an approach known as a missional approach. And the missional approach is characterized by the fact that um, we believe that it is everybody's responsibility to be involved in the work of the ministry. We don't believe that the, that the, that the great missionary work that you guys are supposed to do is go out there and invite people to church so that they can come in and then I can close the deal because I'm the pro. That we don't believe that. That's, that's, not, that's not a missional perspective. A missional perspective is let's gather the team up and my job is to equip the saints, Ephesians chapter 4, equip the saints for the work of ministry. My job is to equip you to provide you with training, to provide you with teaching, to provide you with tools, to provide you with a framework, to help you understand what you're called to do so that you can now go out and live like a missionary in everyday life. That's, that's, missional, that's a missional approach to the mission. So we gather together to get salty, in the good way, and then we scatter to be salty or to shine our light in the city as missionaries. That's a missional approach to, um, well, missions. (laughs) Missions in Fort Collins. Think of yourself as a missionary. And step one in a missional approach we talked about last week is to recognize that the mission field is everyday life in the city. In other words, We should not be the kinds of Christians who withdraw from the culture and live in a holy huddle in a little Christian ghetto that nobody ever wants to come into. What kind of person who doesn't love Jesus is going to come into the Christian ghetto with our Christian coffee shops and our Christian bookstore and our Christian wrapping paper and our... (laughs) (laughs) our little fish symbols on our car like this is our little world why don't you come in it's exciting it's so fun um no no we we go out into our city and we live everyday life mike and i we play on a softball team and the reason that we are not we didn't start a christian softball team is because we want to live like missionaries And so we go play softball with guys who don't know Jesus, and guess what, it's kind of hard. Because these guys don't know Jesus. And do you think they act like they don't know Jesus? Uh, Yeah, yeah, they sure do. And I love them, and Mike loves them. We're trying to live in the everyday world of this city. We don't want to withdraw. We live in this world knowing that this world is not ultimate, but also knowing that God intends to use our everyday lives to display his glory in and through us to our neighbors as we participate in the city. So step 1 is to just recognize that the missionary calling requires you to live everyday life. So don't feel guilty about the fact that you got to go grocery shopping and that you're part of the pool board and that you're part of the HOA and that you've that your kids go to school and that you've got a job in a in a in a place that that doesn't live for Jesus. No, that's that's just fine. You need to be there. We need to be there because there are a bunch of people there that don't know Jesus and they're not gonna come into the ghetto. So we gotta go out to them. Does that make sense? Step one, we gotta go into the world. Step two is what we're gonna talk about today. We have to very carefully watch how we live in the world. We have to be very mindful of the way that we live for the sake of the mission. I want you to consider Uh, what people think about Christians. What does the unbelieving world think about us? Just know that when we go into the world, there is a perspective. In 1996, the Barna Group did a study, and at that time, this is 96, that's the year I graduated from high school, so that's just like five years ago, okay? Um, Or more like 20. 1996, the Barney Group does a study. At that point, 83% of Americans, 83%, 8 out of 10, more than 8 out of 10 Americans identified themselves as Christians. Less than 20% of the non-Christians viewed Christianity unfavorably. So 8 out of 10 people claimed to be Christians. There were two people left. And if you split those two people up into 10 people, 10 pieces, only two pieces, thought that Christianity was a bad thing. In other words, almost everybody in the United States in 1996 thought that Christianity in general was either something that they embraced for themselves or was a good thing. Eight years later in 2004, It was clear that things were changing very rapidly. The Varna group did another poll on non-Christians ages 16 to 29. So we got some 16 year olds in the room. Up to 29, pre-30s. It's 2004. At that point, 38% of them had a bad impression of Christianity. The number had doubled in eight years. Jesus himself and the Bible were still the object of interest, but Christians were not. In 2015, this is just two years ago now, 45% of non religious people, adults, 45%, one out of every two, you know, can you think in your mind, do I know any people that are non religious? One out of every two, believes that Christianity is an extremist religion. 45, almost one out of every two, believes that you're an extremist. And I've got some friends on Facebook that make it really clear that that's exactly what they think of me and of you. And if you were to go search on the internet and do some reading on the topic, you'd find that, in general, people believe that Christians are hypocritical. 72% Right? 72% of people who don't go to church think the church is full of hypocrites, uh, which it just means that they would, that they would fit right in. Um, but it doesn't invalidate the observation, right? We're all battling with hypocrisy. We're all battling with it. Um, but, yeah, good observation. The church is full of hypocrites. Uh, The church is judgmental, looking down on others and unloving. Uh, The church is bigoted and hateful of homosexuals. The church is sheltered, huddled up and out of touch with the real mess of the real world, offering simplistic solutions. As one researcher says, there will always be the stumbling block of the cross. Yet our study shows that many are tripping over the church before they hear the message of the cross. You know, we can't remove the stumbling block of the message of Christ crucified. That will always offend anybody who's unwilling to embrace the fact that the life that they've lived deserves what happened to Jesus. That's always, that's always going to be an offense. But some people will never even be willing to hear that message because the lives that we're living as a church uh, make them stumble before they even get there. So this is a big deal, right? In this series, we're going to talk about the importance of communicating the gospel message. But before we get there, what we're trying to deal with is people will never listen to the gospel message coming from the lips of people whose lives do not resemble Jesus at all. It makes it very hard for people to hear you talk about a Jesus that you don't display in the way that you live. So that's what we're talking about today. The church is an unattractive mess from the perspective of the world. That's what the world sees when they look at Christianity, at least in America. Now whether or not it's a fair assessment, you know, that's, a, that's a different issue. Um, some of that is unfair criticism, some of it is misunderstanding, uh, some of it uh, is slander, some of it comes from the fact that we're a countercultural community we will stand in opposition to the culture when the culture is straying from what the bible teaches you know some of it comes from things that like we can't handle but you know what some of it's true some of it's actually legitimate criticism the thing is regardless of what's real it's how we're perceived this is how people see us that's the narrative that drives the way that many people think about you and me the second they hear that we love Jesus. And that's why we have to be careful about how we live in this world because the deck is stacked against us right from the start. We're all, it's already going to be an uphill battle for us to try to help people uh, know who Jesus is because people have these impressions of who we are to begin with. And who we are is not compelling. And even though there's nothing that we can do to eliminate the messiness of the church. I mean, we're always going to be full of sinners in need of grace. And even though there's we're not going to compromise our countercultural positions when the scripture requires us to do that, it's important to realize that there are things that we can do in order to re-narrate the situation for the people in our lives. So that even if people don't agree with our claims, they're nevertheless intrigued by our lives. Do we live the kind of lives that people would look at and say, you know what, I would never want to be like you. Or do we live the kind of lives where people look at us and say, man, I don't believe what you believe, but I really want to be like you. Um, Are we compelling because of the way that we live? Is there there something of of a compelling picture of the Jesus that we proclaim, or does our life produce a stumbling block that makes it impossible for people to see him? Uh, I hung out with some unbelievers um, a couple nights ago, and it was, uh, there was one guy in particular that was kind of a rough dude in, in this situation. He was, he was quite coarse, uh, uh, crude, even downright cruel, um, this guy clearly did not believe what I believed. Now, did the way that I interact compel him? Did the way that I responded to him uh, give him any reason to think that what I have is something that he might want? right? Well, I sure hope so i don 't know. I sure hope so. I want my life to have that kind of impact don 't you don 't you want your life? To have the kind of impact that people would say, there's something, there's something shining in that person. That's what I want. What if we were known for being true to our word? Like that's what we're known for. What we say and what we do line up. What if that's what we were? widely recognized for? What if we were known as being the neighbor who's always there, willing to help, glad to help? What if we're known for genuinely caring for people in their time of need? What if Christians were famous for being courageous to stand up for what's right in a way that makes people feel loved, even though we disagree with them? What if Christians were known for our marriages? And what if we were a model of love and joy for the world, and our homes were full of life and laughter and people. We, we ought to be this kind of people, and, and I just want to clarify, I'm not talking about be this kind of person so that God will be nice to you, or be this kind of person so that God will be uh, pleased with you and receive you. I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm talking about when you freely receive the gift of God's grace, does it make a difference in the way that you live? And it ought to. There ought to be fruit in our lives. Observable, uh, observable fruit that when the world sees they look at it and they say uh, there's something there. Matthew chapter 5. You are the salt of the earth but if salt has lost its taste how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, here it is. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Here's what happens. Jesus saves a person. It changes the way that they live. They shine light in the world, good works. And as a result, good works, not good works in order to earn salvation, good works that are the fruit of the free gift of salvation. And when people see those good works, they give glory to God in heaven. That's what we're talking about. People becoming worshipers of God as a result of seeing good works in our lives as we shine that light as missionaries in the city. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about we have to fight to show the world that jesus is wonderful and so we have to carefully watch the way that we live so that our lives might be described as christ-like i want to talk about two ways today two very practical ways that we can be christ-like people for the sake of the mission (coughs) the first is this i want to just talk talk a little bit about what christ-likeness looks like, and the first is this, Christ-like people are loving. Very simple, Christ-like people are loving people. It ought to be, this is perhaps the um, most attractive, most notable feature about a Christian who's watching the way that they live. They are unmatched, Christians ought to be unmatched in their love for other people. And that love should, remember, should resemble the love of Jesus, meaning it's a love that, uh, that um, it's a love where you lay your life down for others. It's a servant love. It's a humble, I lay my life down for you, for your good kind of love. It's got a sacrifice dynamic to it. It's a, I give away from my life for the benefit of of your life. That's what Christian love looks like. And it ought to to be coming out of our lives in a variety of forms. Like, for example, we ought to be um, demonstrating uh, this Christ-like love for one another. Meaning the Christian community ought to be marked by the kind of love that I'm talking about. It ought to be one of the... Dynamics that shapes us. It ought to be one of the dynamics that marks us. We ought to be known for being people of love for one another. And you know what? I don't know if we are. I'm not talking about Choice City Church. I'm talking about Christians in general in the West. Are we known for being loving toward one another? I don't know if we are. The church has always struggled with this. The Corinthians struggled with it because their church was focused on spiritual gifts. Like super focused on spiritual gifts to the point that um, it, even though it seemed very spiritual, their community was really broken with regards to love. And so Paul says, look, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers, And understanding all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Now Paul's not saying, don't practice tongues, don't prophesy, and don't give up your life. He's saying, you can have those things in a church... And if you don't have love, it poisons the well. All those things. I mean, we could be a church that like really cares about Bible teaching. And really cares about mission. And really cares about the gospel. And we hate each other. And it poisons the well of all those great things. Are we known for it? Love. One another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my, my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, it actually impacts people. They'll know that we are disciples by the way that we love one another. They'll know that we're followers of Jesus. It will make an impact. They'll look at this community and they'll say, that's how you uni- everybody's looking for this. Everybody's looking for a community of love. And the world is trying their best to, to put it together. Um, I mean tour de fat is not I mean that's a community looking looking to connect, right? And the world can can do some stuff that, that feels like what they're looking for. But you know what? There is nothing like a church. There's nothing like a local church of people laying down their lives to one another it is a, un- is a unique picture of the heavenly community um, so that ought to be that ought to be one of the things that marks us there's another way that love ought to be present and it's not just our love for one another but it's 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 a love for people who don't know Jesus in fact Jesus says it ought to expe- extend even to our enemies The love uh, that is uh, happening, that is flowing in this community ought to be flowing toward one another. It ought to be flowing out of here toward people who don't know Jesus. And in fact, it ought to even be extending to people who hate you. That's how, uh, and of course, Jesus modeled this perfectly as he gives his life on the cross for the people who are killing him, right? This this has got to be one of the, the things that marks the church and you know what I, we're not really known for this are we I don't I'm not saying choice city church I'm saying Christians we're not Christians aren't really known for being this way you know what we're known for being judgmental that's what we're famous for right and like I said some of that's unfair because anytime we say I mean, you could, it doesn't matter how sweetly you say it sometimes it's just like as soon as you make an assessment and say, you know, this is what I believe, I think this is right. It's like, why are you judging me? I'm like, okay. (laughs) So some of it's unfair, for sure, but the reality is, you know, we're kind of known for for huddling up, we stay unengaged, we stay out of touch with culture, we're kind of aloof, we're kind of upset at the way people are screwing up our country or our neighborhood. We had this guy driving through our neighborhood last night at like 40 miles an hour, and uh, this is super convicting. I like whistle at him. Amy's like, slow down! (laughs) We're like creating this total scene out in our front yard. You're screwing up the world! You did it! We're unengaged. We're out of touch with culture. We're aloof. We're upset. Until we speak out in a mean-spirited, politically charged, barrage of right-wing rhetoric, anti-cultural rhetoric that makes everybody think, oh my gosh, I never, ever, ever want to be like that. I don't want to be like you. And then we're like, yeah, but you should come be one of us and follow Jesus. And it's just not compelling. right? Nobody wants to be a part of that team. We have to take back some ground in the way that we treat other people. And I, and I, I wonder if it would take us a long ways if we simply just embrace the fact that we need to grow in our compassion. We just need to be more compassionate people as a church. And there are two things that I have in mind here. One is kind of just a general attitude that we have toward people that don't know Jesus. Like like we need to remember that people who don't know Jesus do not know what they're doing with regards to their... uh, Resistance to Christ. They don't know what they're doing. Uriah and I were on campus last week. Last week, yeah. And we're we're handing out uh, what we're giving. We're doing a free drawing for fifty dollars worth of free Chipotle. And and then we're we're getting some contacts from students and those kinds of things as a result of that. And so Uriah and I are. And I forget who said it to this gal. You were I, but. Hey, would you like to win some free chipotle? And she responds. She responds, and says, um, "I'm late and I'm not nice." Or wait, was that what she said? No, I'm late and I'm not friendly. I was like, Whoa! I mean, she was mean, and it took. It kind of took. It took me a second, and I. But there is a part of me that when I see somebody driving down the street fast, I whistle at them and I want to like, go to the driveway and like, tell them off, like, you don't drive that way. And so when this, when this woman does this, thankfully, it took me a second, I was kind of stunned by it. It's like, wow, that was mean. I'm just trying to give you free burritos. <laughs> and as Uriah and I were talking afterwards, you know what came to mind and we talked about this, okay, this, this girl is really broken. Something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. Am I angry or do I have compassion? Like we have to remember that lost people act like they're lost. And it shouldn't surprise us when they do. But you, you know what? We we get angry at people who act like they're lost because we forget, we forget that they don't know what they're doing. Luke, chapter 23. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And when when it says they crucified him, I think you could, this would be helpful, it was you. And it was me. They crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left, and Jesus said, (laughs) you know what he said, right? You know this. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's compassion for lost people acting like lost people. And I think we have to remember that so that we don't feed this snarky response to people who are acting poorly. And and I feel it, I'm sure you feel it. As I was hanging out with this guy the other night that I was talking about a minute ago, I'm like, like, hold your tongue, hold your tongue. Be nice, be loving, he's lost. This is who we're trying to reach. Don't, don't do what your flesh wants to do. Have compassion. Rather than the mean-spirited, you're ruining our neighborhood kind of response that people have come to expect from us. That's what they expect of us. Rewrite the narrative. Rewrite it the way that you live. Christ-like people are loving, and when we live that way, it helps change the narrative for those who are watching us. Here's a second way that we can pursue Christ-likeness. Not only should we recognize that Christ-like people are loving, but Christ-like people genuinely value personal holiness. Christ-like people really care that our lives are aligned with God's will. Genuinely care about it. Like, when I see anger coming out of my heart, I care that it's there and it needs to change. I'm not okay with it. I cannot make peace. Christ like people do not make peace with the things that they see in their lives that they're ashamed of. They don't just stuff it back under the rug and say, "Well, I hope nobody sees that." They bring it into the light, they confess it. And they try to figure out what is it going to take to put this to death cuz I'm not okay with it. I'm not okay I'm not okay being an angry man. I'm not okay being an angry dad. I'm not okay with with my issues of, of lying or, or stealing or, or looking at things that I shouldn't look at or, or responding in snarky ways or whatever it is in, in my life or in your life. I, I'm, we can't be okay. Christ-like people do not make peace with sin in their lives. Because Christ is too important to us for that. And the mission is too important. And we love him too much. First Peter chapter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Don't let, we still feel those passions rise up. But don't be conformed to them. Don't let it rule your life. Don't be enslaved to the things that, that once ruled you. Christ set us free from slavery to sin. He did. did you know that? You are not enslaved to sin. Now, I'm not promoting some sort of perfectionism. You will never be perfect on this side of glory. But our trajectory is upward. And it, it kind of looks like this. The direction is a direction of being sanctified so that we look more and more like Jesus. We're not enslaved to sin. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You know what? The church is not known for this. That's not, that's not what we're that's not what people uh, attribute to us when they think of us. The church isn't well known for seeing people's lives radically transformed. Now, that actually does happen, but we're not known for it. What are we known for? We're known for being hypocrites. Right? I mean, that's the charge, and like I said, some of it's unfair, some of it's slander, some of it's, it's not true. But enough of it is true that we should care about it in our own lives. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I want to put that to death where my mind and my heart and my words and my actions don't line up. I want that to end. I want to be a consistent person. I want to be a genuine person. And that's why we have to care about sin in our lives. You see, sometimes what happens is people think that when they put their trust in Jesus, their sins are forgiven and they get a free pass to heaven and then they can go on living in the same way that they were living before without really changing anything in their life. When I was uh, 18 years old, I... uh, I tried cocaine for the first time, and so you've heard the story. And then the next morning, I went to church, and I thought, if I die, I'm screwed. So I better respond today to this sermon. And so I thought, yeah, I'll get a little, I'll get a little fire insurance here. Sure, I'll respond. I go up front. The next week, I was baptized. That afternoon I was smoking weed with my friends at a time in a state where that was not legal for anybody. (laughs) And I made no change in my life, nothing. I didn't change the way I talked. I didn't change the way that I treated women. I didn't change the way that I used drugs. I didn't change the way I related to my parents. I didn't change the way that I related to the law. I changed nothing in my life. And you know what you call that besides hypocrisy? Cheap grace. And if that's your view, if that's your view of life, If that's your view of of how it works with God, you misunderstand the gospel. You misunderstand how this works, how Christianity works. You see, I said that I knew Jesus, but my hypocritical life told a different story. My actions demonstrated I was no child of God, regardless of what I claimed. It's not what you claim that tells the story, it's how you live. Is there fruit? that demonstrates the reality of your claim. Yes, many of us make a claim, and there's fruit that demonstrates there's something behind that claim. But sometimes people have a cheap grace view of Jesus, and they claim to follow him, but there's no evidence. And 1 John 2, 3 speaks to it. By this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. You see, I was deceived. I was deceived. And because of that, I was hindering the mission. I'm sure I was doing wonders for the name of Jesus in that year. It, it wasn't until a year later that God, God revealed the hypocrisy in my life. And my heart was truly changed, and I really wanted to fall, follow Jesus. And, and my life transformed radically. I was not the same person. I did not want the same things anymore. My life of rampant sinful indulgence was replaced with a life in which I eagerly pursued holiness. You could ask the people who are around me. You could ask my parents. He's different. You could ask my friends. He's different. You could ask my roommates. He's different. You could ask Keith. He's different. And you know who else is different? Keith is too. It's not, it's not the same when you really meet Jesus. He changes you. And I want our churches to be known not for hypocrisy, but for transformation. Not for cheap grace, but replaced with a deep love for Jesus that manifests itself in the form of a genuine concern that our lives line up with the will of Jesus. We don't merely want to avoid hell, right? We want to follow the Lord. We love him. We enjoy him. We want to please him. We want to know him. And it changes us when that's what happens. And when we're changed, it doesn't make us perfect. It just means we care just means that we care that we're different than the way we used to be. Things just start shifting in our lives. And when the world sees that, it impacts the mission. The people that we're reaching out to probably do not expect us to be perfect. They don't don't expect the church to be full of perfect people. Um, And hopefully we're not giving them the impression that we think that we can be or that even that's our goal. I I hope we're not giving that impression to people. we're not counting on being perfect in order to make an impact on the mission. And you don't have to be perfect to rewrite the narrative for other people's, uh, for other people's perception of who we are. What, what our neighbors will be impacted by is whether or not Jesus makes any real difference in our life. And if we don't care about our holiness, and if we don't care about loving others, then people aren't really gonna care about our Jesus, because apparently he doesn't do much for us. You know what I'm saying? they won't care if he's not they want to know will he make a difference because you know what people want to change everybody wants to change everybody is looking for some way to conquer things in their lives that they're not happy about and if they're looking at our lives and they're seeing that person is being transformed wonder what's behind that see now we've set the stage for the advancement of if we care about walking in his ways, if we're committed to growing into mature and loving, kind, joyful, faithful, peaceful, patient people, our neighbors will take notice because as we rewrite the narrative for them and show them what Christ likeness actually looks like, it gives them a glimpse of a different way to be human. This is what, the Christian is living out what humanity is meant to be if, we're really embracing Christ's purposes for our lives a new way to be human and even if our neighbors don't yet agree with our views the way we live can stir a thirst so that they at least and they wish it could be true I wish it were true I want to be more like that and what we're what we're called to is to be a community like that And as the world looks on, they would think, I want to be in a community like that, I want to love like that, I want to be changed, and it sets the stage for mission advancement. We are a missional people called by God to participate in the work of revealing His glory and seeing people become worshipers of Him. We take a missional approach in which everybody has a role to play, everybody's a missionary, Step one, we go into the world. Step two, we watch how we live in the world. As loving people, full of compassion for one another, and for the lost, and for our enemies. And we care about our personal holiness. And it will it will re-narrate, at least in your personal spheres, that will begin to re-narrate.